So if the prototype is useful today for somebody and there are customers that will buy it, you you, you have to get them off the, the development and the R&D world, get them into the market to start getting revenue going earlier because then that revenue ends up paying for a lot of things and puts them in a better position to negotiate a higher valuation, uh, negotiate better terms, if they've got a little bit of money coming in. Welcome to Deep Tech Catalyst, the channel by the Synergist, where science meets venture. Together with global investors and experts, we uncover how to turn breakthrough scientific discoveries into investable deep tech startups. Today, we are with uh, Colin Webster, founder and partner at Risk Capital, a deep tech venture capital fund based in Toronto. Hi, Colin. How are you? And thanks for being here today. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, great. So uh, let's start Colin, with the, our conversation talking about uh, your investment focus and why you invest in deep tech personally. Sure. Um... Yeah, I was an entrepreneur first doing tech startups and many years ago, and I kind of transitioned into investing uh, on my own in Canada and Toronto where I live and um, for about 15 years. And, and during that time, the Canadian venture capital landscape changed a lot. And one of the things that happened was that... Uh, we Canada was in through the government. We were incentivized to raise larger and larger funds. A lot of our a lot of our great startups were actually getting to a great good place in Canada, but then there was no money at that lar at that later stage to fund them. So then they would go to the U.S. and Canada was like, "Oh, why are we losing all our good investors uh, investments to the U.S. or or even Europe?" And um, so there was a heavy incentive to raise larger and larger funds which really opened up the gap in the early stage where I was kind of focused. And so all of a sudden I started getting really interesting deals that I never got before because, you know, I was just as an angel investor, not getting like full exposure to some of the best deals. And so that's when, that's when I decided that, you know, angel investors, one thing, but, but, you know, there's a real opportunity to, to a fill the gap in the early stage stage and be take it you know take advantage of that opportunity um to find the best investments because no one else is sort of in that area so i partnered with a guy in 2019 and we were both engineers so we both had engineering backgrounds and so when we looked at the landscape we saw lots of opportunity in the seed stage um but particularly i mean and there were still a few people doing that but particularly there was nothing going on in the deep tech area it, just, it was just a, our VC landscape hadn't really, you know, got that sophisticated to start to get into the, the various niches of VC investing. Yeah. And, and, and so we were both sort of deep tech engineers by, by training. So we decided we would yeah. focus on that area. And, um, uh, and, and it was funny worldwide, we were late to the party. Europe had, had a ton of all, when we did our research, had a ton of deep tech funds all over the place and then us funnily enough in second place with a few pretty nice you know deep tech funds but canada had nothing so we were the first to launch a deep tech fund in canada in canada the 
the, the typical VC investor would wait until there was some kind of traction because they can't assess the tech very well. But but once customers start buying it, that make that sort of reasonable. So so there was no one actually addressing the, the gap to between you know PhD out of a university and traction. So so we're we're filling that, that gap. What could you suggest to a founder who has a good idea and has a tech has a really expertise in technical side? approaching a VC in the early stage and planning, dreaming to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, we, we meet a lot of those people and uh, it's funny, a lot of, some of them say they want to be entrepreneurs, but when you actually build the company and do the whole thing, they actually prefer to be in the lab. And so we have to yeah. kind of assess that a little bit because, you know, if they really prefer to be in the lab, which is mm -hmm. understandable for a lot of these people, then they're not going to be very successful building a company, you know, unless they really surround themselves with a lot of uh, good people. But, but, you know, you have to really have the desire to build a company and, you know, be clever at inventing something. So, so that's the first test we do when we're talking to them is, do you really want to build a company? Like that's like, that's the first question. I mean, we could talk to people from the whole range. I've talked to, I was talking to someone recently, I mean, yesterday or today, and she's got some great tech out of a university, but she's so far away from commercialization. I said, look, you, you know, you haven't got a product. You, you have you have ideas around how to improve AI development and things like that. And you haven't really proven it. I mean, you think you've done some good work already, but I mean, you haven't really shown, you know, any examples of how this is improving the world and stuff like that. And, and so, so, you know, my advice to her is, you know, you got to get, you've got to get some proof of concept. You've got to show that your prototypes, that your ideas actually can um, do, do, you know, do something beneficial and, and money making for the world. Finding customers, selling customers, that's a big part of building a business. And if they can't do that, mm -hmm. then, you know, that's a red flag already. So, so for us, we guide them into getting in front of potential customers you know, developing a relationship with those customers, getting the customers to agree on, on looking at the prototype and coming up with sort of their view on whether it's, you know, valuable to them. And then that's when we kind of like get involved. So for, I mean, there are different VCs out there that will provide capital at different stages, right? So there's pre-seed, we're seed, series A, there's all different stages out there. So I can speak to seed, for example. And so the steps, the steps for seed is, uh, yeah, you have your invention at a university or you're working with a mentor or whatever. And then, yeah, maybe you get a patent from, from the university. And then from the patent and the invention, then you come up with some solution, whether it's a piece of hardware, whether it's software, whether it's an AI solution, whether it's a, you know something. And then the solution needs to be applied to something in the real world. So that so that so that it can be bought, like we don't want to we don't want to know of a great innovation that's gonna you know not change like not have any monetary value, like you know. And if they want to give it away for free, well, that's not good for venture capitalists either. So so they have to find a customer, and so once they get a customer, not even necessarily agreeing to use it, but like like well, a customer meaning someone who says to them, look, if you provide me with the following version of your prototype and we can test it, we'll let you know whether we'll buy. And then, so maybe even a letter of intent, nothing nothing serious. And then they go with 
they go they go with the they go with the patent and the letter of intent and that that they take that and they put a pitch deck together so putting a strong pitch deck together pre preparing the pitch deck preparing the pitch um a lot of the a lot of the difficult challenges for scientists and first time entrepreneurs is they they put a pitch deck together and and they're not prepared really to handle some of the you know either the objections or the sort of the grilling on the financials or things like that so they need to be prepared to go be a vc and that takes a little bit of you know sometimes it just takes a little bit of practice with some you know friends and family investors or things like that to kind of you know or or, or you know or they can they, there's two ways to approach a vc like like me for example they can say look i'm not really pitching right now but i need some advice on how to pitch properly because i don't feel like i'm strong enough in this area uh, you know, and then I would help them. I would walk them through and give them my tips and stuff like that. Or they come at, they come already prepared. And then I say, okay, that's a yeah. good pitch or that's a bad pitch and stuff like that. Also, another main challenge uh, is the to, to put together a team. Most of the time, there is the solopreneur that has the technology and is looking for a team. Uh, in your, do you have good uh, uh, stories about uh, how a scientist with a good technology and good skill basically as a CTO can assemble a good team and to run a company. Yeah. I mean, it's one, of, I think it's one of the hardest things. It's harder than in the invention and it's harder than finding customers. Um, the, uh, also I, I know, I note that a lot of single founders, like single scientists that try to do it on their own for some reason, there's no reason why they should have less success, but they often do. It's, it's, there's a few, you know, unknown aspects about having a partner uh, at least one partner working with you on a project i mean you know you have to give a you have to give away some of your company in that situation because you're bringing on someone really early so that's a bit of a problem but the chance of success is much higher i don't know whether it's you know because you have someone to talk to or whether the support is there or whether the brains uh, or the talent you know being additional to what you you're providing helps i'm not sure exactly why but uh, but for sure, at least one other partner is typically super useful for building a company. So, you know, two people. And I've always, everything I, every company I started, I think I started five companies um, before I did angel investing and, and those were all with partners. So I didn't start anything on my own, except for my little hobby businesses and stuff like that. But the, the tech companies I started with other people. So that's super useful. Um, how do you find the people? I mean, you know, yeah. you're going to be living and breathing and working with these people for the next maybe 20 years. I mean, you know, ideally, you, you got to really like the person, right? So you've got to combine the chemistry and the skills. So you, you kind of want to find people that are skilled in areas that you're not. So if you're a scientist, you're probably not so skilled in the business side. So it'd be great to find a business person. You know, and then how do you find them? It's, I would, you know, it's really through a network. Like, I wouldn't really trust anything but you know word of mouth like friends of friends kind of thing so so you know there are probably people out there who you know are applying for jobs and they probably apply and they look good in the interview and you get to know them but i mean at most you're going to spend you know a couple of you know months before you kind of partner with them and and even that's not enough i mean you have to really know the people you have to know a lot about them you have to know their history you have to know what kind of people they are and and you have to work well with them and to be successful it's you know you often have to have someone that you can really work well with i mean there's lots of turnover in early stage companies 
is a part of your valuation as an investor, the relationship between founders and is uh, really important for them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we can't, we can't pick up a lot um, right away. We're, we're looking more for the skill sets to make sure that the skill sets are there and, and where the gaps are. And so we, we, we learn to help out where the gaps are. Like someone doesn't know like finance, for example, we know we have to help in that gap. So we focus on the gaps. It's hard for us to develop, to understand the relationship because when the, when the startup is selling to us, they're always selling a good relationship between the founders. I mean, they're not going to, they're not, they don't want to disclose any kind of like, you know, they don't even want to disclose to themselves any kind of, um, you know, problems that they might have internally when they're raising money. Right. So we can't really figure that out. I mean, we can do some due diligence and try to figure that out, but it's difficult. Okay, great. And, and uh, to ask another question that uh, uh, our audience is asking to us is, uh, which are the main pitfalls a scientist should avoid starting thinking to become an entrepreneur? So if you have some stuff not yeah. to do. <laughs> stuff not to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think some scientists typically spend too much money on the research and the development mm -hmm. and things like that. So, so, you know, they, they, for example, say they have a prototype that's pretty good. It's not great. And it doesn't do everything it's supposed to do. And, it, and more things are going to happen. They'll prefer to raise some money and spend another year developing the prototype where the prototype could be useful today. And, and they're just not, they're like, they're maybe they're perfectionists or whatever. And so, so if the prototype is useful today for somebody and there are customers that will buy it, you, you, you have to get them off the, the development and the R and D world, get them into the market to start getting revenue going earlier, because then that revenue ends up paying for a lot of things and puts them in a better position to negotiate a higher valuation uh, negotiate better terms if they've got a little bit of money coming in. If the investor doesn't see revenue light at the end of the tunnel, then you know it's we're we get worried that we're going to have to keep putting more money in. Like so, you know, give him a check and then give him more money, give him more money, and because he's still developing the tech to perfection. Yeah, and so that's just sort of a red flag. So so figuring out when a great time to get into the market is, and and then and then getting out of the lab. Yeah. Okay. So we can call it uh, over technical overthinking. Like, yeah. 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 Over technical thinking. Okay. Sure. May I ask you a last question about the field of deep tech early stage? Because uh, as I seen you uh, your website, uh, you claim uh, deep tech is underinvested, and uh, this is a common uh, also in uh, in Europe. It's really uh, a huge opportunity here, but uh, it's underinvested. Uh, and we would like to know your opinion about why, with your Canadian experience. Yeah. Um, deep tech is underinvested for a few reasons. One of, one of them is deep tech takes a little bit longer than regular tech. So, so regular tech being SaaS companies and things like that, you know, deep tech could have FDA approvals, could have patents that need to be filed. Like there's a few, you know, hoops, hardware is often a problem um, because you have to go through various iterations of the hardware. Um, you know, you think the prototype, works really well in the lab, but then you put it in more kind of real situation and then you have to keep iterating on that. And then and that can take a while. Like 
piece of software, if it's broken, you can probably have it fixed the next day. Piece of hardware that's broken, you might have to wait like six months or whatever. So the, yeah. the, the thing is, it takes <laughs> a lot longer. Yeah. Takes a lot longer. So so investors, you know, they rate their their investments and, you know, on ROI, which is really closely related to the time, right? So get it, returning 10 times your money in one year is it looks a lot better than returning 10 times your money in 20 years. Yeah. So probably yeah. yes. So <laughs> VC funds try to compress and and find the the, the investments that will turn return quickly. Yeah. Deep tech, you know, is is a little bit longer. I mean, I would yeah. sort of say a regular fund is like a seven-year fund and a deep tech fund is like a 10-year fund, but that's kind of those are kind of averages. Yeah. Um the other thing about deep tech is people think of it's it's a little more risky because you know it's it's often changing the world type innovation. So here's an innovation never been seen before uh in the medical area or whatever in and 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 so can it even be done? Like, you know, the risk involved is huge. But but we also realize that as an investor, we can mitigate our risk by port, by diversification in portfolios. So so yeah, each investment might be even more risky than a regular tech investment. Um but if we build a portfolio, we're pretty confident that, you know, if we have 20 companies in our portfolio, you know, we will mitigate that risk. And that's the sort of the model of the venture capital. It's the it's the angel investors that do two or three investments and and you know it doesn't go well and they lose everything. That's you know, that's a bad way to invest. But it, but the VC model, which has been developed over many years, you know, you have a lot of companies in your portfolio and you know law of large numbers, I guess, you, you know, you will get some successes in there if, if you're being good about your investing. Can you uh, inspire the scientists of being entrepreneur and say why they should uh, take the risk, take the leap and uh, and found their, their startup in deep tech? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been a fan of entrepreneurism. I think I think it's either it's either in you or not. So so I think I, I'm a believer in following your own path, right? So so if the, if you're a scientist for 30 years and you've been developing stuff, that could be really who you are. And you should probably not try to be an entrepreneur. But if you've got but but if you've got something inside of you that's kind of knocking on the door, you know, saying, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should, you know, try to build this into a company and and make a lot of money. Making a lot of money is not the greatest thing in the world, but but you know it's, that's not important really. What's important is following your path. And and so, but but if if there's something knocking on, like it's something that's sort of speaking to you a little bit, saying, yeah, I really think I should build something with this. I think I should turn it into a company and make some money, and you know, spend my time talking to customers and and you know, doing my accounting and like all these things that they may not want to do. But they're going to have to do it. And, and then I'm going to build something and then I'm going to, you know, make a mark for myself and people will know that I've, you know, invented the new solar panel or whatever it is. If they want to do that, then they, they, they shouldn't wait. Like, so, so if, the, if, if they feel something in their body to do it, yeah, don't wait. Just, you know, jump, jump through the window, jump through the window into that world and, and take the risk and, and get uncomfortable and try it and do, you know, I, that's, you know, that's, that's the way to live. I think this has been a really insightful coin. Thank you for your time here. Thanks, Nicola. Great to meet you.